Good morning. Don, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I am John. I am the parking lot guy. I remember the first time that I got to speak from the stage on a Sunday morning. It was July 5th, 2015. <clears throat> and I said, wow, after all of these years, I get to come inside and this is what it looks like. It's an amazing thing. And it was so rejoicing. And from 2015 to today, I've had a number of opportunities to come and speak before you and to digest God's scripture and to discern what message he would have for me and for you through this. In, in, the, in the Acts church that we're gonna, we are continuing to study, much if not all of what the disciples and the apostles shared with the people that they were reaching out to was based on their first-hand witness testimony. And this wasn't part of the discussion this morning, but as I sat there this morning, it just came over me the truth that one of the ways that I know God is absolutely real is this truth, that without him, there is no way that I would be able to stand before you and bring this message without God living inside of me. There is no way that this would happen without it being a complete disaster. And by disaster, I don't mean a jelly donut getting squished on stage. And I also make a promise that this week there shall be, there shall be nobody running down the aisle for our, our, uh, our, our off-duty uh, police officers. There shall be no hijinks. There's not going to be any staining of shirts. Nothing out of the, nothing mostly out of the normal. So this morning, we're going into Acts 14, and we're going to review the continuing adventures of Paul and Barnabas. So you're going to hear me refer to Paul and Barnabas through this dialogue, through this narrative. And when I talk about Paul and Barnabas, please know that I'm also including their disciples, because it's not just Paul and Barnabas alone. They have a group of people who are coming along with them, who they are pouring their lives into, who they are teaching and training to become the next Paul and Barnabas when Paul and Barnabas send them out. You'll hear me use the word apostles, possibly. When I, when I say apostles, I mean Paul and Barnabas and the disciples. So those three things are kind of interchangeable for any avoidance of confusion. So to, so to, so to come into this, this morning's message in Acts 14, we're going to encounter Paul and Barnabas in Antioch, in Iconium, in Lystra, and we're going to share some of their experiences and a set of circumstances so complex that they would rival any modern-day thriller, adventure, action movie. What they experienced in chapter 14 alone is amazing. It would rival any Jason Bourne series that would ever be put up on the silver screen. As, as I studied this, it was amazing what they experienced and then what they did at the very end. Through their experiences, we're going, to we're going to experience and see the struggle between good and evil, between light and dark, between, between the temptation of experiencing fan worship when people, when people started to idolize them instead of God, and the temptation of meism and how they dealt with that. And you may be, may be sitting here this morning and you may be asking yourself, how in the world 
does what happened to Paul and Barnabas and their disciples 2,000 years ago impact and affect my life here today? And here's the connection point. Our struggles today, they're different than what Paul and Barnabas experienced. But they're no less real and they are no less important to God. So after we walk through these experiences with Paul and Barnabas, we're going to go through that, and then at the, at the end, we're going to answer the question of how God carried them through all of these experiences. And maybe, maybe when we examine the how God did it for Paul and Barnabas, we can adopt that how into our life, and that how, through God, can help us deal with the junk of today. See, our experiences, it could be the it could be the struggle of being a single parent. It could be the struggle of raising a child in a, world, in a world that absolutely wants to consume them. It could be the suffering of a loved one who's ill. Or it could be the suffering you're experiencing because you're ill. Our sufferings, our struggles today take on many different arrangements. It could be getting in trouble with your boss at work or having your life threatened because you shared Jesus with somebody. Our struggles today take on many different, different faces, but again, they are no less real. So if you would, stick with me through the message, and then at the end, we'll see how Paul and Barnabas were strengthened to do this. We're going to break this up. Whoop, I went too fast. Before we go to Acts 14, I want to remind us of where Paul and Barnabas came from in Acts 13. In Acts 13, at the end of Acts 13, we find Paul and Barnabas, and they are in Antioch, and they are sharing God's word, and people are coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this is wonderful, but it infuriates the religious leaders. The religious leaders of Antioch are furious because up until that point in time, if we as mankind wanted to have a relationship with God, we had to do it through the priest. But when Christ came to earth and suffered and died for our sins. He tore that veil, and we no longer needed a priest for us to have a relationship with God. Now it is a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship between each of us as an individual and the creator of the universe. See, this is so different. They are they're suffering because they feel that they are getting taken out of the picture. What they don't realize is that for each and every one of them, they are being given the opportunity to have an individual and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And they're so caught up in what they are losing that they can't see what they are gaining. But the Jews in Antioch incited the devout men and women of high standing, leading them through the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their dis district. And this next thing, this next thing that I read. Sometimes when I read something in Scripture, I have to pause and ask, what in the world does this mean? But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook off the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. Okay. I promise no hijinks, this is, this is as much as it'll get. So as they're leaving, they shake the dust off their sandals, they shake the dust off their feet, and they leave. What does that mean? So as I studied that, I came to understand the Greeks had a gesture like this. I'm done with you. 
I wash my hands of you. I can do no more for you. You are not my responsibility anymore. When they shook the dust from their feet, they were separating them, even to the point where if the dust from their town had continued on with Paul and Barnabas to the next place, it would be, it would be unthinkable, a complete and utter separation. So they looked at the people and said, I'm done with you. I'm leaving. It's over. Not to the people who had surrendered to Christ, but to the religious leaders who had rejected him. This is where we find Paul and Barnabas at the end of Acts 13. And then we go into Acts 14 and we find Paul and Barnabas in Iconium. And see in Iconium? Now at Iconium, if you have your Bibles, please join with me. If you, if you use your cell phone or your electronic device, please join with me as well. Now at Iconium, they entered together with the Jewish, into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they, Paul and Barnabas and the disciples, remained for a long time, speaking boldly. The threat and being told to shut up and not speak of this new covenant, the threat from the religious leaders that they should not be talking about this in the synagogue, in the temple, or any place else. It did not deter them. They stayed in Iconium for a long period of time, reaching into the lives of the people who did not have a relationship with Jesus and sharing with those people the truth of a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with the creator of the universe and Jesus as their savior and as their Lord. But the people, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, Paul and Barnabas, and to stone them, they, Paul and Barnabas, learned of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, the cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. But here's the truth. In scene one, Paul and Barnabas at Iconium, even when they left, it had already begun. They had already poured Jesus. They had already poured the truth of an intimate relationship between us as individuals and the creator of the universe into the lives of these people. And there is no way that the religious leaders can stop that movement. The movement had begun and they moved on to share this same truth of the gospel in a new place. And from Iconium, they go on to Lystra. In scene two, of Act 14, we see Paul and Barnabas at Lystra. Now something very, very different happens at Lystra. Paul is teaching in the synagogue, in, in, the, in, the, in the temple again. And as Paul looks out into the crowd, he sees a man. He sees a man who's crippled, who's lame, whose feet do not work. And Paul looks at that man and he sees in him great faith in God. And Paul looks out and he says, Stand up. The man, he stands up and he begins jumping and he begins walking and a miracle has happened. This is an incredible thing. We have seen Christ do this through his ministry, healing an individual. But then Paul and Barnabas, they experience the unintended consequences of giving this man a gift. This is a fantastic thing for the man. He can now walk. He doesn't have to sit at the city gates and beg. His life has been forever changed. 
But the people, the people, they look at Paul and they look at Barnabas and they say, these men must be gods. Instead of recognizing the truth that the source of the miracle was the God, the creator in heaven above, they attributed the miracle to Paul and Barnabas and they began to worship them and they began to call them Zeus and Hermes. Hermes, they, they named Paul because he was the chief speaker. And they were speaking in their own language. And at first, Paul and Barnabas did not understand the hero worship that the people were giving. And then when they found out, it tore their hearts. But for a moment, this is, this is, this is a moment of caution. Each and every one of us in our life, we experience moments when someone is thankful, when someone appreciates something that we have done. It would be very, very easy for Paul. I can almost imagine Paul and Barnabas kind of sitting back and listening to this fan worship and Barnabas leaning over to Paul and say, it's pretty good. You know, we could hang out here for a very long period of time. Once in a while, heal a blind person. Once in a while, make somebody walk. Maybe heal a leper once in a while. They'll feed us. They'll clothe us. They go, they're going to treat us like kings. They're treating us like gods. Imagine the temptation of falling into the trap of pride and meism and thinking, wow, okay, God, we've done enough. You know, we've gone out. We've, we've been threatened. We've given the word. We've done enough. We're going to hang out here, and we're going to let these people treat us like kings and like gods. And you know what? God, find a couple other people. But that's not the impression that it gave, that, that's not the impact that it had on Paul and Barnabas. But there is a warning for us today in the middle of that. Because you see, there are some people, there are some times that we want to go to a church or we want to experience a speaker. And we're more in tune with the person delivering the message than we are with the message. There's a very real risk there. If you ever find yourself more interested in the person delivering the message than you are in the message, I encourage you to check your heart because you've missed it. And if, and if you are someone who has the opportunity to deliver a message and you ever get to the point where you want to do that so that people will adore you, so that you get some of that fan adoration, there's a warning in here for, for that as well. Check your heart because God is interested in our actions, but he is more in tune with the motivation of our heart, why we do what we do as much as what we do. So Paul and Barnabas, instead of falling, falling into the trap of fan worship, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas tear their clothes and they begin to cry out to the people and they tell the people, we are just mere mortal men. We are not God. You've missed it. The source of this miracle was the creator of the universe. The source of this miracle was God in heaven above. But the people, no matter how much Paul and Barnabas cried out to them and told them the truth, that they were not the source of the miracle, they could not stop the people from worshiping them. And this is a problem. But this is also a sign of how fickle the crowd is. Because in the midst of that fan worship, in the midst of Paul and Barnabas not being able to tell the people, it's not about me, it's about God. It's not about us, it's about God. We are not the source of that miracle, God is. The next thing that happens 
is that the religious leaders from Iconium and the religious leaders from Antioch, they track Paul and Barnabas down here in Lystra. And they come, and they come to the same people who moments ago were worshiping Paul and Barnabas, and they incite them into a riot. One moment, one moment these people are worshiping Paul and Barnabas. But as soon as someone came in and started speaking negatively about Paul and Barnabas, the people, they were turned into riot and mob mentality, and they took Paul and they stoned him. The practice of stoning was brutal, was barbaric. They would pick up a rock, maybe about the size of my fist, weighing anywhere from two to five pounds, and they would hurl it at the victim like a baseball player throws a baseball. And those stones would hit their flesh and begin to tear their flesh and bruise them, and they would cause them to bleed until the point where your knees can't hold you up anymore and you fall to the dirt. And this is what happened to Paul. They took him and they stoned him and he dropped. And then what did they do? They took him out of the city and they left him for dead. Barnabas and the disciples. Barnabas and the disciples, they come walking out. But the Jews from Antioch and Iconium Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city and left him to die, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered around him, Paul, he rose up and he entered the city. In the other two cases, when, when they threatened Paul with harm, he left. He and the disciples left. After they had stoned him, Paul, when he stood back up, he didn't head to the next place. He walked back into the city gates and he spent the night. Can you imagine what the 11 o'clock news in Lystra was like? Paul has been stoned, but he returned into the city. The, the news of what had happened had to spread through this small city like a wildfire. There is no way that the religious leaders who had incited the mob into, into a fury to do this to Paul, there's no way that they did not know about it. But Paul walked back into the city and Scripture says that he spent the night and the next morning he left. So the same people who had the people try and kill Paul did not have the nerve to take another crack at it. But more importantly, through what happened to Paul, through his courage to re-enter the city, through Paul's strength, not his own strength, the strength of the Holy Spirit that resided within him. Through that strength, he re-entered the city. And his disciples and Barnabas were completely encouraged by his action and by what God had done through him. Strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, all who believed. So Paul and Barnabas, they came back into the city. They finished their work in this city, and then they moved on. The movement had begun. Act 14, scene 4. Paul and Barnabas, they returned to Antioch. Do you remember in chapter 13, this is where we started. 
In Antioch, the religious leaders ran Paul and Barnabas out of town. They threatened their lives and they left. Then they, Paul and Barnabas, passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attila. And from there, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of the God for the work that, had, that they had fulfilled. I've been in enough small groups. I've been in enough groups where it's, it's very, very common for us today to get caught up in the conversation of the most recent letter that I got from the Homeowners Association that says that my driveway is not clean. <laughs> the latest political debacle that one of our, one of our political leaders has, has, has taken us into. It's very easy for us to focus on these conversations because these things impact our life. It would be very, very easy for Paul to come back into Antioch and say, oh my goodness, they stoned me. They tried to kill me. I can't. I cannot imagine, I cannot tell you how much trouble there is out there. If you go, if you go, you're going to face troubles. But God's word does not tell us that this is what Paul says. Upon returning to Antioch, and when they arrived, they gathered the church together, and they declared all of the good things that God had done. Instead of, instead of talking about all of the wrong things that happened, they went in and they declared the souls that were saved. They declared that all of the work that God had done. They gave the glory for everything that had happened to the true source of the work, to God. I'll take an amen for that. And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done and how he had opened a door of faith even to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. The movement in Antioch would continue. Now, this is not the end of Paul and Barnabas' journeys. This is just one small season in the midst of Paul and Barnabas' journeys. Imagine what the religious leaders thought. The text doesn't tell us, but when they came back to Iconium, when they came walking into the city gates of Iconium, when they came into the synagogue and began again teaching the truth of the gospel, that the relationship between man, kind, and God is one-on-one -on -one and it is individual and it is intimate. It is no longer required to go through a priest. They stayed for no little amount of time and no one stood up against them again here. All right. That was Paul, and that was Barnabas. What in the world does that have to do with us today? It's a good question. How do I apply what Paul and Barnabas experienced to my life today? How does what Paul and Barnabas experienced Get me through tomorrow. Because quite candidly, sometimes the junk of the day is so overwhelming, I don't know if I'm going to get through tomorrow. And we come to the epilogue. We've had scene one, scene two, and scene three, and scene four. We've seen Paul and Barnabas have some amazing and incredible experiences. We've seen the battle between good and evil. It was all of these experiences that later in life allowed Paul to write 
a number of letters, but I want to focus in on two things that Paul wrote down. And here's the truth. The answer to how do I apply this into my life? How does what Paul and Barnabas experienced apply in my life to help me through my day and help me through what I'm experiencing, the struggles, the trials, the hardships, the confrontations? The answer, the answer is easy. It's really, really easy. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. The answer is simple. It is extremely simple. But the truth is that it's not easy. Because you see, in Acts 14, in Acts 13, we never once saw God change the circumstances that Paul and Barnabas were experiencing. Never once. He didn't make it easier for them. He didn't come in and swoop and eradicate the religious leaders. But he carried them through it. It's, the answer is simple, but it's not easy. And to get a start of it, we're going to go to Paul's letter to the Philippians. For I, this is Paul speaking to the, to the Philippians, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul is telling us, he didn't know this up front. He had to learn it. This isn't, some, this isn't the way we are independently wired. We have to learn this as well. We have the opportunity to either learn it and embrace it or not. We have a choice to make. I have learned to be content. I have learned to experience God's joy no matter what the circumstances. I have learned the secret, the secret of being content, of experiencing God's joy in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. Let me say that in John speak. I've been beat. I have lived well. I have been hungry and starving nearly to death. I have been well-fed and sat at the table of the feast. I have, I have lived outside in suffering, and I have lived in the palace of the Pharisees. And I have learned the secret that my circumstances are not the source of my contentment. Paul says, I can do this because of God who gives me strength. I told you it's simple. Paul tells us that we can do this. We can we can choose not to allow the circumstances, the struggles of today that we will experience, no matter what they are, to impact our joy in God. We can learn this too by making a choice to do it through him who gives us strength. Simple, not easy. Therefore, oh, apologize. Then Paul went on to write in his letter to the Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Philippians was the what. This is the how. Justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. Because of our faith, God will take the struggles 
Joseph said it like this. I think it's in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph said it like this. What the enemy intended for evil, the suffering that Paul and Barnabas and his, their disciples experienced, it wasn't because God laid it down on them. It was because they faced an enemy who wanted to stop them. We face an enemy each and every day who wants to do us harm. And Joseph said it like this. What the enemy intended for evil, God can use for good. Well, how does he do that? Through faith, God takes our sufferings and he uses the sufferings that are put on us by the enemy, the worries of this world, the worries of being a single parent, the, the, the consequences of a loved one being ill, all of the things that impact us today. Suffering produces endurance. So God takes our faith in him and he says, the enemy wants to put suffering on you I will build within you the strength and the endurance and the perseverance to go through that struggle. This is, this, is not this is not rainbows and unicorns. God doesn't necessarily change the circumstances, but he carries us through them each and every time if we are faithful. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance it produces character. Endurance is the ability to go through anything with God. With God. This is the important part of the equation. With God, without God. And we're going to come to that in just a moment. Endurance produces character. The ability, character, the ability to say yes when it is important to say yes, to say no when it is important to say no, to be able to avoid the character, to say no when I am tempted to do something inappropriate, the character to say yes when God calls upon me or you or any of us to help the person who is in need, to walk through a season with someone. God will use the circumstances in each of our lives to minister into the lives of others. There have been moments in my life when I witnessed the suffering or the challenges that someone else experienced and how God carried them through that. And what that did was it built within me a faith that if God will do that for them, when I experience a season of suffering, God will do that for me. And you know what? It wasn't long after that that we experienced a season of challenge. I don't know if it was suffering. My job moved to St. Petersburg. My boss said, if you want your job, you've got to move to St. Petersburg. So for almost three years, I drove back and forth from Orlando to St. Petersburg to go to work. Some might call that more of an inconvenience than suffering. But during that, point, during that time, there were a number of people who said, how can you possibly stand that? Why don't you just quit your job? And my answer was simple. God allowed this season to happen in our lives. I don't know what God is going to do through this season of our lives, but I have faith that at the end that God is going to do something through this season of our life, and he did. After about three years, the company I worked for opened an office in Orlando, and suddenly I didn't have to drive back and forth. I don't know if God reached down and tapped the president of, the, president of that company on the shoulder and said, <clears throat> please, John needs a place in Orlando to work. Open an office. I'm not saying that that's how it works. I don't know how God would have brought that season to a conclusion, but I do know that by staying in whatever set of circumstances that he gave our lives, he made good out of it. 
Endurance produces character. The endurance gave us the character to say yes and to say no. And here's the benefit. During that time, if, if we had chosen to take the easy path and say, fine, we'll move, I wouldn't be able to be standing in front of you today. I wouldn't have experienced life with you as we have since 2003. Because of seeing the suffering that someone else experienced, God gave us the faith and the endurance and the character to walk through that season. And we have been, because of that, we have been able to experience God, experience life, experience joys, experience hardships, experience strange moments with each and every one of you. And I promise you this, I would not trade one of those for anything. For the best job in the world that would have been offered to, to us back then, no way, I would not trade any of that because we love each and every one of you and I wouldn't trade our time together for anything. Those are the scriptures. All of that is the narrative. You're going to hear me use the word periodically, story. The word story periodically. Please do not mistake the word story with believing in something that is make-believe. This is a very set of real historical facts that happened in the lives of Paul and Barnabas as they have been given to us here. Up until this moment, we've experienced the narrative of what happened. We've seen how God how, how Paul wrote to us later, after all of those experiences, Paul wrote to us, this is how God got me through it. We each now have the option, maybe the responsibility, to take and make a decision. For the believer in this room, for the people who have surrendered to Christ as their Lord and as their Savior in this room, each and every day we have to make a decision. And it's not easy, but it is simple. Do I want to face everything for today and for tomorrow on my own? Or do I want to face it with God? Do I want to face life? Do I want to face challenges? Do I want to face everything on my own? Or do I want to face everything with God? As for me and my house, we will choose to face today and tomorrow and whatever today and tomorrow bring with God instead of without God. Because as I, as I shared with you at the very, very beginning, my testimony is that without God, there is no way that we would have experienced the joy and the peace and everything that we have in, in recent decades. For the person in this room who's not a believer in Christ, who has never experienced that moment when they surrendered their life to Christ as their Savior and as their Lord, if you're sitting in this room and you want to know, I don't, if the struggles of today, if the struggles of tomorrow, if, if the struggle of experiencing the rest of your life without a relationship with the creator of the universe, if you don't want to go through tomorrow alone, if you want to, if you want to know what it means to have a relationship with God, with Jesus as your savior, you have a decision to make too. 
See, for the believer, we have a decision to make. Do I face tomorrow with or without God? For the... I didn't say that correctly. For the believer, do I want to choose to try and go it on my own because God is with us? And I apologize for saying that incorrectly. Do I want to choose to face tomorrow on my own, under my own will, or do I want to try and face tomorrow with God? For the non-believer, for the person who has not, for the person who has not experienced the relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior. Do I want to face my tomorrows without God or with God? Do I want to face my tomorrows alone or through the saving grace of God? Do I want to experience the incredible relationship between myself and the creator of the universe who loves me and who gave everything for me? If you are in this room, in either of those sets of circumstances, in a moment, they're going to begin to play. And they're going to begin to sing. And we each have a decision to make. There's going to be people over here. There's going to be people over there. There are people in the back. There's David in the back. He might be willing to talk. There's Jerry right there in a blue shirt. He's going to be down here in front. Rich and Carmen. If you would like to know, if you're in this room and you've never had that moment where you surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and you want to know more about what that means, I encourage you, as they begin to play, get up, come down front, and find one of us. If you're sitting next to somebody, that's kind of an embarrassing thing to ask, isn't it? Get up out of your seat, walk down front so that everybody can see you. That's highly embarrassing you. Pastor Jim told me once to never to make a promise that I can't fulfill. But I'll make you this promise. If you did that and you are in this room, you are surrounded by a group of people who would cheer and be so happy and filled with joy because of that moment. There is no reason to be embarrassed, but I understand that it may still be real. If you're in here and you're sitting next to somebody who you think might be in the middle of that moment and you know you have a relationship with God, would you have the courage to take them by the hand and say, if you want to go down there and talk to somebody, I'll go with you. If you don't want to go down there and talk to somebody, I'll sit right here and I'll talk with you about it. And if you have questions that we cannot answer sitting here, we'll go find somebody who knows the answers. You don't have to know all of the answers. But here is where the source of those answers are. I invite you to come. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Each and every one of us, myself included, we have a decision to make with God, on my own, or with God. Church family, this has been one of the greatest privileges and honors of my entire life to stand before you and try and bring and do justice to the message that God has given us. And I want you to know this. I thank you. I love you. And I'm done. Let's sing. <laughs>